Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Skidoo. I'm Stephanie, and as you know, my paper is dry. Do you have any advice for girls who choose to avoid a life of jazz and drink? And I'm Javert. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thing. Oh my god. I, I, I know. I low-key wanted all of us to introduce ourselves in song tonight, but I thought Justin might not go for that. So. What? <laughs> or maybe What she would. needs to say is Stephanie didn't think Justin could harmonize. What? No, not harmonize. I like each of us like sing a line or so. I don't know. Just that I didn't get very far with it. <laughs> I'm always looking for a chance to sing some show tunes. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, and show tunes are what we have got tonight, unsurprisingly, I mean, it is Musical March, but, um, so, in particular, uh, tonight, uh, maybe a slightly more tenuous theme than some of the others, but tonight we are talking about... Oscar bait musicals. Mo- well, Oscar winning, uh, <laughs> Did both of them win the Oscar? Or win an Oscar? They win, they won They Oscars, both won Oscars. Yes. Um... I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly which ones because no, no, that's fine. I, I mean, should have done it's, my research before the uh, podcast. That's fine. Chicago won Best us. Picture. Yes, it and did. And yes. Les Mis won uh, Best Supporting Actress, Best Hair and Makeup, Best Sound Mixing, and there we go. Okay, yeah. Uh, was Les Mis nominated for Best Picture? I'm curious. Uh, I feel like yes, it was, it was, it was nominated. Okay, it was. Okay. Curious, what listed... won in 2013? I'm sorry? Hmm? What won in 2013? Oh. Do you know uh, if it doesn't say AI, that's fine. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to click more things. Oh, okay. And the well, audience has Google. Uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> they're not, since... not going to Google it. Since I listed all of Les Mis's, I'll list all of Chicago's, too. They won hmm. uh, Best Supporting Actress, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones specifically, but Queen Latifah was also nominated. Best Art hmm. Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, uh best sound so they wow. uh they cleaned house a little bit nice it was argo by the way oh, oh. that's not a bad movie. <laughs> it's not sure. as good as this movie but it's not a bad movie <laughs> With, uh, they both got best supporting actress writer chris terrio um anyway um uh okay so um so yeah i guess part of the reason why we're using this distinction here <laughs> To, to put it delicately, movie musicals have not always been that well-received critically. <laughs> right. Since... Um, some of them have. After Cabaret in the early 70s, there was kind of a glut of mm. any musicals Darth. of any... A Darth. You're right. Sorry. A Darth. And then in the 2000s, there of, were a glut. <laughs> well, one, there was a dearth of any musicals, much less any award-nominated ones. Um, yes. Yeah. Because I think Cabaret won Best Picture. Um, yeah, I think, and then I just think it did, yeah. After that, there was nothing Before, for decades. Before um, Moulin Rouge, I can't think of any movie musicals that did really well 
Well, that weren't Disney. <laughs> that weren't right. Disney animated films. And I don't even classify Disney animated films as musicals. <laughs> they're animated movies that feature a couple songs. I think they're musicals, but that's a that's a that's that's a that's, 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 a, that's a different conversation. That's we already debating had a whole month about makes, them. <laughs> what makes something a musical? Uh, it's uh, it's also strange uh, in. At the Oscars, it's best film, musical, or comedy. Like, they're lumped in together. No, that's Golden Globes, right? Is it Golden Isn't Globes? Isn't that Golden Globes? I'm Oscars? not sure. <laughs> Oscars just does best picture. I think Golden Globes actually splits them up by genre, which there are, I guess there are merits to doing that. But yeah, musical or comedy is kind of funny when you have some musicals that are definitely not comedies. <laughs> but um, I think that's the Golden Globes. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Either way, it's strange that they're lumped together at all. <laughs> yeah, I do think that's kind of funny. It seems to be operating on a kind of archaic definition of like, oh, when you go to a musical at the opera house and you're in for a jolly good I laugh. I don't think that's what it means. I think it's just that there's so few of either musicals or comedies, I guess, released in a given year that are going to get nominated for awards that they just lumped them together. Or they're it like, could add be, those two lesser genres. It could be segue into Chicago. It could be a leftover thing from uh, vaudeville, which was a lot of straight yeah. comedy and a lot of music. And See, that's, that's kind of what Roxy I was wanted to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so we're gonna be talking about a couple that that definitely did pretty well, um, critically. And of course, we'll get into some of the uh, <laughs> criticisms. Uh, but but generally speaking, have been pretty well received, and importantly, well received outside of the general audience for musicals. I guess. Um, or, All right. Well received by the public, I suppose. Um, when I mean, obviously, normies like musicals too sometimes, but uh, <laughs> you know, it that went outside of just the the theater crowd. Um, okay, so Chicago um, parentheses two thousand two. <laughs> um, yes, so my first memory of this movie actually was long before I watched it. I remember. Um, near my house there was a big billboard on the street and for whatever reason the bulb the billboard was advertising chicago like the movie and it had like the that picture of like richard Gere standing facing the camera and like Catherine zeta jones and renee zellweger are both like standing with their backs to the camera like looking seductive um and i was always like "Ooh, what's that <laughs> and i i was i was like eight at the time so i had no idea what it was i didn't know it was a musical i just thought it looked really interesting <laughs> and i liked the dresses so uh yeah I, I was interested and then i can't actually remember when i first saw it i want to say sometime in high school maybe um probably one of my <laughs> drama club friends uh resulted in that um but yeah i really like it and uh Caleb? I was completely and totally unaware of this movie's existence until pres <laughs> presumably <laughs> Stephanie made me watch or uh, told me to watch it at some point in high school or college, <laughs> and I did, and I really like it a lot. Yep, I watch it every year. Yeah, it's very rewatchable. Mm -hmm. Justin. Uh, uh, also, first time I watched it was in high school in drama class. Uh, there was a pile of DVDs in the. In the drama room, and we had a sub, and he was basically like, "I don't know how to teach theater. Throw something on," and <laughs> we watched Chicago. <laughs> That's uh, the best and way to do it. 
I don't watch it every year, um, but anytime the opportunity arises, I'm always very excited. I uh, I like this a lot. <laughs> you know, it, Chicago is for me, <laughs> or is there is an aspect of it. There are aspects of it that are very similar to a lot of things that I like, but there is an aspect of it that is not similar to a lot of things that I like, and that is that I don't like any of the characters. Let me rephrase that. I like the characters as in I like watching them on screen and like hearing them talk, but I think all the characters are despicable and that's very intentional, like by the movie. But I'm realizing, like, I was trying to think of other movies that I really like that have that aspect and I couldn't think of many, Um, which isn't to say that I don't think that films can be good with like unsympathetic quote unquote characters. I, it's just not the kind that I tend to gravitate towards, but for some reason, I just can, I'm okay with it with this one and, and still really love it. I don't know. <laughs> Theories on that. <laughs> uh, everyone in this movie is despicable except poor, poor little baby John C. Wright. <laughs> oh, it hurts me. <laughs> right. And, and it's, it's so sad even then because he's still per, per portrayed as like this kind of like dweeb and you're just like buddy but you feel so bad for him too and his musical number is so good Mm -hmm. like so complicated feelings um but yeah like every time i watch it i'm just like ugh, i hate all of you (laughs) but i'm not rooting for anyone i don't but it's it's interesting because i don't feel that actively about it i i you know i realize i recognize that they're all terrible people but it's never like when I'm watching like Les Mis where I'm actively hating them. Like, yes. go away! Fuck off, Javert! Like, I, <laughs> whenever someone's a dick in Chicago, I'm just like, how's this gonna play out? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, to be fair, the tone of the movie kind of encourages that. Um, well, it's kind of interesting because it kind of walks that fine line between encouraging you to enjoy the shittiness of the people but also reminding you that it's shitty for at key moments um i don't know i think i think that's why the times when their shitty actions actually have a few consequences that you're like ooh, and it kind of hits a lot harder just because you've been enjoying it so much up until that point mm-hmm. i don't know um but yeah i i do kind of like that and it's amazing that they can grab my interest the way they do with such an unsympathetic protagonist. Like, <laughs> she's fucking awful. Like, she's not even, like, smart evil or evil evil. She's just kind of, like, a stupid, selfish person who, like, kind of gets better at it by the end, but only marginally. And I'm always just like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> but also, this is kind of interesting. So, <laughs> you know. I can't think of many movies that I that I really enjoy that, that are like that. So I'm kind of, I don't know, kind of fascinated by that aspect. I'm sure well, if I was to get into deep. it. Oh. No, Justin, <laughs> stepping on my moment. What were you going to say? I was just going to uh, say, I'm sure if I dug deep, I could think of some examples, but but I'm right there with you. I I can't think of any good ones either. <laughs> <laughs> Not ones that we've really talked about on here, anyways. Yeah. A lot of our a lot of the movies we've discussed tend to have kind of bright eyed, pure hearted protagonists, which is which is great. Oh, sorry, I just hit the microphone. My bad. You're fine. Um, but uh, this, this is a nice little break from that. 
Um, okay, so, gee, where, where do we start? <laughs> kind of didn't take notes. Ha <laughs> We don't need to. Chicago <laughs> is the story of Chicago. Good night, everybody. Um, <laughs> it's the story of Roxy Hart, uh, who lives in Chicago in the 1930s. I think it's meant to be um, the 30s. And it she... starts in 24. Thank you, Justin. Oh, is it actually the 20s? Mm-hmm. Uh, nineteen twenty-four is when uh, Velma kills her sister and her husband. Well, I'm dumb. There you go. And then it's only like a month later when what's her name gets arrested. Something about um, like the 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 aesthetic made me think thirties, but I don't fucking know. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Roxy wants to be a big stage star a jazz darling um yes um (laughs) and she is cheating on her husband and god knows how these two even got married to begin with i i don't we're not given any indications of how that happens because they don't seem like they've been married for very long and like they they clearly like she at least clearly wants nothing to do with him and so I don't, I'm very curious as to how that happened. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's, <laughs> I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like marriage material to me either, but yeah. God love John C. Reilly. Right. Um, so she's cheating on him. Yeah. And her boyfriend uh, decides to leave her. Quote, unquote. What, quote, unquote. And she, uh, well, he's been leading her on saying that he, she, he's going to, Get her a hookup at the club, you know, to get a chance to be on stage. Yeah, I guess he just made um, that up whole cloth. Yep, he did. And she finds out he's lying and that he's leaving her and she shoots him dead. And then she ends up Rip. in jail? Prison? Uh, the Prison. Cook County Jail. The Cook County oh, Jail. It's weird Which that they have... It's weird that they have a... a uh, uh, oh, God, what's it called? A death row in a jail. <laughs> yeah, that's a good... Po- okay, well... It is called the Cook County Jail, though. It's, it could yes. just be because it's such a big county. They call it Murderer's <laughs> Row or Murderous Row or whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's just that it's kind of an informal death row. It's like, that's just where they put the people who are accused of murder, but most of them don't actually swing. Well, none uh, of except them for the one innocent until, person. <laughs> right, She yeah. was literally the first one. And it could have also yeah, been we'll that, that. Hang, ex, hanging cases weren't didn't have to go to the state level back then. Oh, really? I'd have to Google it, but Ooh. I mean, ah, it makes cares? sense within context. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And the story is just about her trying to get away with the murder and... She, trying try. to simultaneously get away with the murder and become a celebrity, which proves surprisingly right. easy. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the central concept of the movie, is that at this particular moment in time... I guess we're meant to believe some particular state of moral decay. Murder is big business. Yeah, yeah. Or it's it's like I guess the the proto celebrity era era when like um you can get famous doing I don't know, the arts or you can get famous committing murder, but the best way is to do both of them. Um and so I guess and it, what's interesting is it's particularly in this movie anyway, depicted as uh, something that can give a woman a certain allure, but it doesn't really unpack that all the way, I think. 
Like, I don't know. It seems like there could be some interesting stuff going on here about, like, okay, why why women in particular? Like, is it this idea? Like, I don't know. It's not really clear if the fascination is more that they are innocent or more that they are guilty. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, all these ideas are kind of put out there. And to well, be fair, I don't... Nobody seems to believe that any of these women are innocent. Matter of fact, Did Velma... I? No, I that depends on your turn, how you define innocent, okay? Because Velma and Roxy both, like, neither of them deny shooting anyone. The question is whether or not they're guilty of yes, murdering cold blood. Yes, I should use the legal term, not guilty. So they are big and famous because they're women who shot and killed someone. Yes. Okay. Yes. The, the specifics therein are less important. Um, <laughs> right, but it's like there's there's great celebration when Roxy is declared not guilty. Of course, it's short-lived because immediately afterward, another woman shoots. <laughs> On the steps of the courthouse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's very interesting. It definitely plays into those ideas of like uh, what causes celebrity and like the, the fleeting nature of fame. I mean, yeah, like we just said, like literally right after she's declared not guilty. Uh, they don't even want her picture anymore. Nope. No. They didn't even want her picture. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting like that. Um, and, of course, <laughs> there is also uh, the remark that uh, Billy gives her that is, uh, to paraphrase, they'd like you more if you were hanged. It would sell more papers. So, kind of also pointing that out. It's like... Well, it's not even so much necessarily that we're supporting this person as that we just kind of like the the mystique of this person, yeah, which doesn't require yep. them to be alive. <laughs> nope. Murder is uh, a form yeah. of entertainment, to quote Mama. Thank yep. you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the characters. Mm. Um, I love Richard Gere in this movie. <laughs> I love have never seen Richard Gere in anything else, I'm <laughs> pretty guy. sure. <laughs> Just kidding, I haven't seen many Richard Gere um, things either. But I love him playing Billy Flynn. I've seen, like, this and Unfaithful, and that might honestly be it. <laughs> I've seen this and The Mothman Prophecies. <laughs> oh my god, I need to watch that. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Okay, yes, I need to see that. So he plays a sleazy lawyer, um, the best lawyer in Chicago, and has, I love his numbers. Every yes, single one of his them. His numbers really slap. Um, they both reach for the gun, uh, give him the old razzle dazzle. Um, there's the tap dance, and there's one more. All I care about is love. All I care about is love. <laughs> and they're just all fantastic. I, that um, tap dance scene is fucking. That's so I well love. Every legal drama should do that. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love the tap dance. Yeah, it's just literally tap dancing. You know what? Let's, let's talk about the music in the movie for a second. It is. A, an interesting combination of diegetic and non-diegetic. Um, yeah. Where, you know, occasionally there, there will be scenes where someone is very obviously performing on stage and the person is actually singing. But most of the numbers cut away to a number being performed on an actual stage, which I think is really cool. Um, because a lot of movies, yeah. like... Les Mis is entirely non-diegetic. Right, right? extremely so. Um, but it still takes place in that scene, in that world, mm -hmm. with no cuts or anything. Right. I really like the way Chicago, whenever like a, a musical number is about to happen, the, the MC announces it, and you cut to 
um, footage yeah. of a big theater stage. Like you're sitting in the audience watching the musical on Broadway. And it's it, it's especially it, it reinforces the themes, I guess, because it um it reinforces that idea of everything these people are doing is an act of sorts. Like it's all all the world's a stage, all the men and women simply players. Um, and that's kind of what's going on is every every time that music kind of cues in, it's when a certain narrative is being presented. Whether like someone verbally presenting their narrative or someone kind of adopting a role, um, and that can that can result in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm just thinking Ch- Chicago is really good as far as a musical goes, and that every song serves a purpose. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's to introduce a character and. Um, you know, explain what the character is about in a two-minute song, or it's expository, right. um, or just drawing up drama to uh, an expository scene, like they both reach for the gun. Um, none of it is pointless. You know, I, I don't know if I would call Mr. Cellophane pointless. It's all strange um, character. I, I guess, yeah. So so all, all of the musical, all of the songs, all the numbers are very much used for something you know it's not just a fun oh hey here's a wacky side character you know Um, (laughs) and in the case of mr cellophane i mean there's a couple interesting things even going on with that one um for one thing he's in like full makeup like full vaudeville clown yeah yeah which most of the if i'm remembering correctly is not the case for most of the dance numbers so Mm. um that in itself seems kind of significant um you know he's singing his his feelings which is what everyone does in a musical but he's singing them very straightforwardly um which is you know sometimes the case and sometimes not i mean when you think about some of the other musical numbers they're very much someone like i said creating a narrative of themselves like all i care about is love right. uh-huh. or while we see know. that's not true right, right um it's just a fun little juxtaposition to how he actually is mr yeah. cellophane is the only number where someone is being either a genuine or b sympathetic yeah. right because his feelings are i'm walking through the world stuff is just happening to me nobody even notices i'm here right. contrast that with roxy which mm-hmm. i love yeah great, love that great number, number. <laughs> but all she's roxy's feelings on the matter are i want to be famous, be famous. Yeah. <laughs> um I want people to recognize my boobs. I, to I, be fair, I do really like her opening monologue. Um, like, how she's doing kind of that kind of little, like, comedy routine. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. Renee so Zellweger kills yeah. it. And it, she does, and it's clear that that's an idealized version of herself because she's so not, like, funny and eloquent in real life. Mm-hmm. She's just mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, she's still talking. Um, but in her idealized version, she's, like, quipping it up. She's funny. She, she, I don't know, she has a great stage presence. Yeah, and also, speaking of Roxy, I love that the number has no discernible, like, the space has no discernible front or back. Yeah. Like, she talks to the audience, like, she's walking yeah. around like she's on a stage, but you can't see the back of the stage, you can't see the sides, you can't see the stage front. is the void. It's yeah, endless. It's, she's, the it's, possibility is endless. It's, it's, it's great. Right. I love it. They're just, uh, she's in this, Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so uh, the the pace for the for the numbers in the film uh, and it being diegetic versus non-diegetic, I think it's set very, very well with the first two numbers. All that jazz being, of course, a diegetic number that's happening. Velma's doing that performance. And then mm-hmm. Funny Honey is totally, it's in Roxy's head. And I, I love when Amos starts squealing on her and like the, the uh-huh. turn that it does. And then... <laughs> That yeah. that really sets the pace of what you're in for for the rest of the movie, like very very well. Yeah, and I really like how that number it starts in the middle or in the middle. It's like two different shots. It has him in the house talking, and then her on a stage, and then at a, at a, at a certain point, it transitions to them both being on a stage in the same shot, and you don't really realize it. And then mm-hmm. when she runs at him, it seamlessly transitions yeah. back to the, the them both being good. in the apartment. Yep, I know. Applause. Great. Applause. Um, And it's, like, that's the only way their worlds can really interact, too, is kind of it gives that impression that, like, she sees herself as off on this big stage, and he's just, like, sitting here. And so (laughs) the only time they can come together is when she's like, yo, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) What, Justin? Sorry. Uh, Just uh, while we're on the topic of the music, little fun fact, throwing back to our last episode... Uh, the music for the original uh, play that this movie is based on uh, was written by John Kander and Fred Ebb, who also did the music for a cabaret. Really? really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that, but I believe it. <laughs> I that did tracks. not know that either. I'm so I just interested. learned that like earlier this morning. I've been like saving it. <laughs> oh wow, that's a good little that's a good little okay, fun fact, Justin. That's really cool, huh? I guess I guess I can I not I can see that. I can hear that. <laughs> Do you know what year it, the show first premiered? Uh I can tell you in one second. Okay. Uh, nineteen seventy five. Oh wow. What? Uh, it's been around for a second. That was only like six years after Cabaret. It uh yeah. Uh music by John Kander, lyrics by Fred Ebb, and uh script by uh Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. I had no idea Chicago the Musical was that old. I didn't either, actually. I didn't know when it had become a thing. Uh, I haven't listened to um, any of like the the stage version of this movie, so I don't know how much of the music they updated for the film in 2002. Um, but I don't imagine a lot, because it all sounds very period-appropriate. Yeah. And, huh. God, it's good. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It... Wow. I'm just blown away. Like <laughs> watching the movie as many times as I have, I was I would not be able to tell you this feels like it's based on a much older show. <laughs> you know, no, I, it feels very very fresh. I guess that's honestly. part and parcel with it. Ha- probably has to do with the fact that it's based on something. That's, it's based in the 1920s, so any time after the 1920s, <laughs> you could have written this and. <laughs> The relevance of it isn't going to change, That's true. right? That's a good point. It doesn't sound like music that was written in the seventies because it's, it's not to be music to be. that sounds like the twenties. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah, that's really cool, and and wow. yeah, it's it is interesting. Just going back, of course, to the central like stylistic musical theater conceit of it. It's interesting to compare it to like other musicals that we've talked about this month, or or will talk about. Um. Just the way that it, like, there's a cleaner break between, like, reality and and fantasy um, than in some of the other ones. Like, there's a very clear, like, 
this this person is and, not actually singing this right, right now. I like that as a stylistic choice. Yeah, it's because it's a, interesting. a lot of musicals, even when we should establish, because I carelessly did not do this earlier for mm. our listeners, the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic music. <laughs> ah. You rubes out there, just diegetic music is music that is actually happening in the world. The characters are actually singing it, and other characters are actually hearing it. Yes. Um, like when Velma is Velma Kelly is performing on the stage at the very beginning of the musical. Non-diegetic is like a musical metaphor. Whenever we the, all the scenes that take place, um, like when we cut away to the stage, mm-hmm. um, like Mr. Cellophane. John C. Riley isn't in Richard Gere's office singing that number, right? Yeah. It's it's a non it's non diegetic. And you know, even as we say that, I guess it's worth noting that to be fair, there are some moments where that is blurred a little bit more. Like Caleb mentioned when Velma is performing at the very beginning of the movie and Roxy is watching it. Um, and like later when Velma is <laughs> actually once again kind of performing in front of Roxy and like trying to convince her to join her act. Now, of course, um, in both of those cases, there is a heightened version of it that plays out the way the other musical numbers do um, versus, you know, the the real version, quote unquote. Um, but it's it's blended together a little more there, which is interesting. Um, usually that's not the case, though. Oh, also my favorite at the end when, um, Roxy is singing, oh, nowadays, um, and then it cuts from her singing, like, super well and impressively. Yeah, Yeah, and then it cuts to her kind of singing just sort of so-so at an audition, and it's just funny because it's the exact same actress singing. She's just singing, like, differently, which I, props to Renee Zellweger. Yeah, it it sounds (laughs) much less impressive. Um, but it's just kind of interesting how it cuts from her imagined version of herself to the real version. And the point that I forgot I was making, um, I enjoy (laughs) some musicals. Been there. (laughs) The, the, when a musical number starts, um, the fact that it's non-diegetic is often less obvious because, like yeah. in High School Musical, for example, they'll just break out into song where they are, and it, the, the the number just happens, and then things go back to normal. In a lot of musicals, it's not anywhere near as clear. Right, and I really, I really like the that. Okay, that's not to say that I have a problem with that. I don't. I don't have a problem with musical numbers that way. But I really appreciate the way that this movie chose to show it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It took the transition from stage musical to film really well yeah it, it 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 tried to play in both worlds and i think it pulled it off and i think that's something we should talk about with both of these uh, justin looked like he was about to say something so i'm gonna wait just oh no 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 uh i was just saying i uh i i love more traditional musicals than all but uh i god i thought this was so cool uh when i first saw it like the way it was done and yeah. I would love to see more of it. I I, I hesitate to say I prefer <laughs> this type because yeah. uh, there's not a lot of it out there. But fuck, is it cool? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That and that's kind of like what I was was what I was going to say. Is like um, I think maybe part of the reason both of these movies are so well received is that they have such a clear vision of how to use the musical as a genre or the musical as an art form. Like, um, 
and in very different ways. Obviously, with this one, there's that hard line between what's actually happening and what's non-diegetically happening. Uh, whereas in Les Mis, it's just super straightforward. Like, of course, even then, I even as I say that, I'm like, it's not so much that the singing is diegetic as in, like, the people around them are actually hearing them be like, this guy's singing right now. It's more just like it, there's a seamless transition from... Mm speaking to singing like it feels natural within that world like that is and, just how it's expressed i mean most of the musical is sung through yeah. there are very few right. speaking lines right it's um, that's just speech in the movie and what should the way chicago does it with the hard transition it allows you to do some very interesting things visually and filmmaking mm, yeah. wise oh, um yeah. because unlike on a stage production you it can do things that a stage production can't. They can cut back and forth between the what's hap- actually happening and the heightened musical stage version of it. Yes. Um, like in the scene with the hanging, where um, the, where uh, the woman Hungarian disappearing act. Yes, the Hungarian disappearing act, where she's yeah. um, uh, her motif is like she's a ballerina. She is in other numbers, and so she's wearing the tutu and she's dressed That's up true. and she's climbing. She's climbing the super tall ladder. To jump off into a pool and then disappear at the end of a rope. And that is cut back and forth between what's actually happening with her walking up um, to the hangman's noose. And, you know, you can't do that on stage. You can't cut back and forth between the two. And I think it works really well being able to do that. That's a good I really point. like yeah, it. Yeah, it makes the metaphor easier to present because on stage you pretty much have to pick, like, do you want the metaphor version or do you want the real version? Right, because if you only showed one version of it, which you would have to choose on stage, um, like on a stage production, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how it actually plays out. <laughs> I wouldn't show the actual hanging the what i would show, show the is just the yeah. quote-unquote hungarian disappearing act and then let the anyway. audience read into it yeah with this the audience's brain don't gotta work so hard <laughs> <laughs> what you. i would do is uh this is just dream directing if i was to ever direct the show i would oh, have yeah. the i would have the heightened ballerina version but uh on uh one side of the stage i would have roxy watching in her prison outfit yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you if you introduce it with the lines that are in the movie of like, well, she just lost her last appeal, so that means Chicago's going to hang a woman for the first time and mm-hmm. however Yeah, like 49 years. Right. And so that would make it pretty clear what was going on, but but at the same time, I like, I don't want to say that it's dumbing it down for the audience. <laughs> I guess it can kind of maybe seem that way, but I think there's a certain cinematic power to being able to cut between those things because that's something that movies allow us to do that a lot of other mediums don't. Cool shop effect. Yeah, maybe. That that scene in particular, I kind of wish it hadn't cut back to where you see her feet dangling. I think it would have been much more powerful to end Mm. just on the empty noose. Just disappear. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because it's like the person's no longer there so Mm -hmm. you almost don't need to show it. It's just like... And that quickly, a human being is gone. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. I, I think, and it's difficult in in these Kulashov-esque situations. God forgive me. Um, that's like I never went to film school. Um, that's like intercutting two things. I think there is. It can be difficult to decide how much is too much. 
and like how much you want to leave to the imagination how much you feel needs to be specified um and that you know i guess is anyone's call um for the most part i did like how most of the numbers kind of interwove those things and like kind of left left some of it up to the imagination i mean speaking of uh speaking of leaving things to the imagination i guess and uh speaking of the hungarian woman who I don't think we're ever actually told her name, which is kind of sad in and of itself. Um, Their visual metaphor, I think, is used to great effect with her in the cell block tango as well. Um, Because, obviously, her her motifs are entirely different. Right, she's not doing a tango. Right, the music changes completely. She is in, like, a ballet outfit, so she's doing a ballet as opposed to a tango. She's speaking a different language the the lighting is different and at the very end she pulls out the white handkerchief which later on when roxy is acquitted is used to signify innocence so um it comes back yeah uh right after it shows the newspapers uh, you see a hand waving a white flag out the window of oh, the courthouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's so, how they knew to distribute the innocent uh, papers. Uh, yeah. So the, the white cloth is a pretty handy little visual metaphor used to... It's a way of telling the audience you can believe what this person is saying, like because visually we know like that right. signifies innocence, whereas with all the other women... Uh, <laughs> some of whom are admitting their guilt and uh, some of whom aren't. Or, let me rephrase that, some of whom are admitting to committing the murder and some of whom aren't. Um, they're all visually depicted very differently. Uh, this movie knows how to use the fuck out of some handkerchiefs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. The entire number is is doing that. I particularly like when she pulls the, the handkerchief out of the guy's mouth and it's like, oh, where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, it, it's used a lot in Cell Block Tango, but there's also after uh, uh, Mama puts the dollar uh, in her bra mm-hmm. and the number, she pulls out that green handkerchief, uh, too. You're so right, it's a, you're it's right. a motif throughout the entire wow. film. It's all so good and so burlesque I, I don't know, like, there's <laughs> use of little props and things. I love it. There's, there's one number that I was thinking that I think really benefits from the juxtaposition of the real world scenes and the the musical numbers hmm. i think that's um the old razzle dazzle yes um where um you know richard Gere is singing about you know how do you succeed in a courtroom you if 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 you're not good you know if you're not pretty you just you just blind them with i just put on you know show. put on a show yeah um and it's juxtaposed with what could be some kind of boring courtroom scenes, probably. <laughs> but um, they, they razzle-dazzled you. actually showing him yes. doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, where, you know, if it was just a musical number, I feel like it would have been weaker. If it's just him doing the whole three-wing circus act in a courtroom, I'd be like, okay, this is an okay number. But since it's yeah. intercut with actual mm-hmm. scenes of him, you know, wowing the the courtroom and in some of them when they're getting razzle dazzled it even like shows like the dancers like in the background like mm-hmm. kind of like hanging around and like razzle dazzling to people mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah there's a shot of of in the actual courtroom with the judge with two of the dancers like hanging on yep, him yep because he's being dazzled um, <laughs> um yeah. yeah no it, it's very effective 
Um, and I really like it. I, I love how the courtroom gets uh, two little musical numbers. First Razzle Dazzle and then the uh, ladies and the gentlemen, tap dance. a tap dance. I love it. <laughs> I love the, I, I look forward to the tap yeah. dance every time. I'm like, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. Here it comes. <laughs> and it feels particularly vaudevillian because it, or it, it makes the whole thing feel vaudevillian because instead of singing, it's just like a dance. So it's like a variety act kind of. You got the mm-hmm. Hungarian disappearing it's, act, the mm-hmm. clown, the, yep. the tap dance. All that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's really good. Oh, God. Someone give me an old-timey variety show in the dark basement <sighs> somewhere in New York. That's all I want. <laughs> that sounds so great. I want to do that so bad. COVID, please go away. And theaters in Panama City, please open back up. Um, yes. So, gosh. Um... Do we have any more specific thoughts about Chicago? Mm. Um, I mean, Captain Zeta-Jones, I'm not sure... I don't think I've seen her in many things, but boy, is she great in the musicals I've seen her in. Yeah. She just, she, she chews it up. Like she She, has a, she really does. She has a great time. Oh yeah. It's, God forbid that I compare this movie to Rock of Ages, but she also really (laughs) chews it up in that one and like clearly loves doing like musical theater, musical Mm -hmm. movies, like. Um, she's really great in that one too, <laughs> in a, a a a villainous role also, but a very different kind. Um, yeah, I she she's really great. She's really good at selling it. Like yes, she, it's like almost it's it's just enough overacting for me to be like yeah yeah. It feels like, quite theatrical. Like it feels appropriate mm-hmm. to the medium. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> she's she's like, oh no, I'm not film acting. I'm I'm stage acting, darling. Like <laughs> she's really yeah, uh, she's really hammering it in. No, I don't think there's a single character uh, in this film that is uh, uh, miscast. Even I I think they chose perfectly the band leader. Like uh, it's easy to just that be a throwaway character, but Tay Diggs. Yeah, really like, did add Diggs, like a right? mystique yeah. to that character. Every time he came on, you're like, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I loved having him introduce the numbers throughout yeah, the show. Yeah, that, is, that, that adds a, a little, nice little little element. Another too. way of telling the audience, we're about to take a trip into Fantasyland yeah. for a moment. <laughs> uh, the six merry murderesses of the Cook County Jail and their rendition of the cell block tango. Mitra and Mama Morton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which (laughs) movies in the 2000s loved using Queen Latifah, just like randomly, like, and featuring Queen Latifah. (laughs) She's great in this, though. I don't have a problem with it. I just think it's a funny thing that movies in that time period like to do. Yeah, it was like, like and here's Queen Latifah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I I love a lot of moments with her. I particularly like what, like, Velma comes in and she's like, oh, everyone's talking about Roxy and, like, she has blonde hair. She's got <laughs> and she's like, Mama, not you too. Everyone's just like, oh, I gotta go where the heat is. Sorry. Uh, no, it's uh, you're right. There is there is no one who is miscast, and everyone's really bringing it and and having a great time. It seems like I don't I don't get the sense from anyone that they're like, uh, yeah, I'm doing a musical. Okay, guys, no one laugh at me. Yeah, it's... no, they're all. I don't know. They were they were all giving it their all and having yeah. fun doing it. it. You you can really feel. No, yeah, that's know. really good. Whew. All right. Um. Anything else, guys? Before we take a break. Before and get real we... sad. I know. Y'all yeah, ready to before, get sad? Before the energy <laughs> changes a little bit, but that's okay. That's it's a good change. 
All right. Well, in that case, we will see you guys after the break to talk about the Mizrahaba. Bring your metaphorical hankies. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Sounds Familiar, where if you weren't sad before... I mean, you, you might be. You you might not be now because I don't know how in depth they're going to discuss every single plot point. No, you won't be that sad just listening to us talk about it. In fact, you might get the impression that it's a lot less sad uh, by listening to us talk about it. But <laughs> I mean, the, to be fair, I mean, it, it, like I almost hate to categorize uh, Le Miserable as, as sad, which it definitely is. But like. It's also so uplifting and beautiful and hopeful that it, I don't think it's depressing. I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Things can be depressing and hopeful at the same I, time. Uh, yes. Bittersweet. Yes. Very, very, very much so. Uh, yes. It got real tears out of my face two different times. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, I am. Um, when we're talking about experiences, movie, we might as well. <laughs> this was the first movie I ever like cried at i think i cried i saw it in theaters and i think i cried three separate times wow that's even more than me i <laughs> three separate times i think um probably fantine song yep. then eponine song and then the finale Damn. yeah eponines didn't get me uh the the finale i'm, I'm a I'm a big Eponine guy. No, I I braved this one out until the the very end, <laughs> the finale song, and then it just I'm like I can't I can't do it anymore. <laughs> it was just <laughs> even though it I there are plenty of parts that like I'm I'm crying at the end. <laughs> <laughs> gross but um but that i'm like extremely emotionally moved by it's just that it's like the ending is just such a perfect storm because it's like sad but also like happy and that combination of like happy and sad is like my my puny human brain doesn't know how to process all this <laughs> it's just dissolving into liquid um and leaking out my eyeballs um so yeah <laughs> um well, that that was one aspect of our Justin, experience. Yeah. What's your experience with Lemis? I watched it for the first time yesterday. Justin, what? Are you what? serious? Yeah. A film man and a musical man. I just, I Justin. I never got around to. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. I'm a bad person. Uh, it's great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um. Wow, that's I'm so okay. So I'm really I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on it now that I know that. Um, I actually saw this one in theaters, which I am very glad I was able to do. Um, like, but not with me, right? Wasn't it? I kind of thought I was, but this was in like 2012, so I don't really know. Uh, 2013? Actually. No, no, it wasn't. Nope, Christmas 2012. You know, oh, fine. gather the family together and go 
cry a bunch. Fucking cry. Yeah. Um, I would not want to watch this with my family, personally. Um, but I wouldn't want to watch most things with them. Anyway, enough about my family. Uh, so I did see this in theaters. I'm very glad I was able to. Um, I, weirdly enough, did not know very much about Les Mis at the time when I saw it, which is weird because I, you know, at that point I had already been in drama club for a while. And at this point I was in my freshman year of college and was also doing theater. So I, I guess, I don't know, maybe the, the people I hung out with weren't as into it. Fucking rubes um but <laughs> i'm just kidding i love you guys no the people we hung out with were too preoccupied with discussing the one act they took to its the previous year ad nauseum oh yeah the theater that they got to do <laughs> what Wish theater kids there. being self-absorbed oh no never Whoa. heard of that one <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway yeah i didn't hear much about it in my circles um pretty much all i knew was that i dreamed a dream was from it and i liked that song um so, um, when I watched it, I was like, holy shit, what? Um, and I still haven't gotten to see it on, on stage, unfortunately. I, I would very much like to. Killed. I auditioned. That's true. Kill did audition. I college. And I didn't get a call back. Oh, sweetie. I would call you back. I know. I know I you did would. call you back. Anyone hey. with taste would. Um, hey. um, <laughs> yeah, I was also totally unaware of this prior to the movie coming out. I'm pretty sure the musical soundtrack that I listened to the most in high school was Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that just somehow uh, tells you everything. Never change, buddy. <laughs> good lord. Oh, Jesus. I'm not oh going to say the show is any good, but hey, have either of you motherfuckers gotten to see no. Reeve Carney on Broadway? Because I have. No. I and Patrick Page. On Broadway. Me neither. Um, two, of the, nice. two of the darlings of of Hades Town, <laughs> were in the original cast of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. That's pretty funny. Oh, boy. Um, I think the musical I listened to the most in high school was Spring Awakening, which to be fair... Oh, that was really probably low. a close second. Love Spring Awakening. Though in some ways that's a less musically musical than some things. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's like... It has talking in it, and also the music is, like, really modern sounding, so... Duncan Sheik, baby. I know, but it's it's really good, and I love it. Um, Even though that one is, like, actually really depressing. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yesterday, when I was messaging you guys uh, while I was watching the movie, I thought you knew that it was my, uh, my first time seeing it, so when I sent you, man, Javert fucking sucks... That was a live reaction. <laughs> that was a live reaction. That's so funny. I read it as someone who was like, oh, I've seen this movie oh. before and I'm being reminded of how much I hate this guy. No, I, it was like right before the time skip and I was like, ah, oh no. <laughs> no, I really didn't know that was your first time. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Yeah, no, no. Um, and that was Justin's first, first time. time. We have to stop with community <laughs> references eventually. Um, That's okay. No. <laughs> what? Okay. Just I no. thought Justin was about to go for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's actually get into the musical now. Oh my god, where to even begin? First of all, it's long well, as fuck. probably in eighteen. Uh, I was oh going to be a smartass and give yeah. the exact date. Eighteen fifteen. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Yeah. So it starts not that long after the Revolutionary. Not the Revolutionary War. Well, okay. no, uh, I believe the, it was the French Revolution. Nineteen years later is what the first yeah. card is, or something like that. And it seems that precious little has changed. Um, <laughs> I mean, as Gavroche says, there was a time we killed the king. 
now we, we have got another king. <laughs> now we've got another king. He's no better than the last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is in itself kind of depressing um, because it's like, oh, well, poor people are still kind of being treated like literally complete garbage. Um, <laughs> it's not really clear what the monarchy's doing other than nothing, which seems to be kind of the point. <laughs> um, it seems very much like the people who are really in charge are like the military slash police, which is already kind of kind of bleak and dystopian. Justin's never seen it before. That means he'll probably he, he, he can appreciate my fun facts. Ooh. About... <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I've got a couple. Got, I've got a couple. Got some in the arsenal. Um, um, so Les Mis is largely the story of Jean Valjean, portrayed by Hugh Jackman, veteran Broadway actor. Um, I love that. I love that the guy who plays Wolverine is is like a big Broadway. I mean, yeah, oh, my man has played. So um, my so man great. has played um, uh, Gaston in productions of Beauty and the Beast. I'm pretty sure. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see him as Gaston. Uh, yes. I'm really um, waiting for the Broadway musical Logan: Songs to Snicked to. for those that don't know snicked spelled s-n-i-k-t is the official onomatopoeia for the sound wolverine's claws make when they come out i love that um yes no he's really good in this um we might as well i guess at the outset kind of address some of the criticisms of like the the vocal styles and like the way the singing is let's talk about russell crowe you know you know i've got got a couple things to say about this i do not feel as strongly about this as i used to some numbers he's pretty good other numbers not so much um the man one very much has his this is my singing voice (laughs) or this is my singing on stage voice yeah. Um it doesn't have a whole lot of variance. He can't really hit some of the notes. Um he has a lot of monotony in his voice. I some scenes he's really good, will other scenes it's play Javert's advocate here. Look, I'm not saying um, anything that hasn't been said before. So I'm not, I'm not treading new ground. If you will. The Russell's um I know that this is a famously maligned performance by Mr. Crow. Um, but I will come in with a hot take that I don't think it's that bad, personally. Um, what I was don't... it you said about his face? His face. You were talking about fine. his acting. Um, <laughs> um, oh, God, what did I say? It was during the, the, the first scene in Paris. I think that his um, facial acting is good. Like, that is my rather basic take. I think that, let me put it this way. I think that his acting ability exceeds his singing ability, which unfortunately is a problem you run into sometimes with like movie musicals, especially when they cast famous people. Let's be real. Um, But I don't think that his singing is bad enough, uh, as bad as people say it is. Um, Also, I will even go so far as to say, while he is kind of, he does have a little bit of a monotony sometimes or like a same voice kind of thing. I think that is not so bad for Javert as it could be for a different character mm-hmm. because Javert because is supposed to be a, a very stoic man, character. Yeah, very rigid. Yeah, and he enforces his own rigidity. Like he is like a military kind of guy and he that is the kind of facade that he is literally like killing himself to to put forward. And so I think that it kind literally of literally kills sense. himself. to That's why I think it honestly is not that bad, 
that his vocal style I don't know and it helps that I have actually other than I think I saw I think I watched a recording of the 25th anniversary um concert edition I haven't seen that many performances of Javert or or heard that many um so I don't have a lot to compare it to but I I'll put it this way his performance doesn't bother me it doesn't take away from the experience of watching the movie so as a first time viewer uh yeah let's hear for for nigh a decade uh I've heard you gotta see Les Mis it's fantastic Russell Crowe sucks uh so I've had like what eight (laughs) years now eight and a half years now uh of people telling me, like, oh, you gotta watch it, but blah, 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 and that always led to a discussion about how terrible Russell Crowe was. And, yeah, is he the best singer? No. Is he flat? A lot. Yeah. Did it take me <laughs> out of the movie at all? No. It wasn't nearly as bad as yeah. people made me think it was going to be. Right. I... And like I said before, I think that his other acting is really good. I, I mean, which shouldn't come as a big surprise. I mean, he's a film actor, obviously. Like, that's kind of where he, he excels. But, um, like, I don't know. I thought that he had a certain presence that I I, I liked. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is about him. He's He's got this kind of, like, <laughs> probably unintentional sort of softness sort of cuddliness to him that <laughs> i think it's just the roundness it, of his it, face it, in I his old it age is. yeah <laughs> it, it could it, it, in some ways it kind of maybe is not how you want your javert to be but in other ways i think made him possibly more sympathetic um which i think you're is say- good you're saying javert would have been less sympathetic if he wasn't so jowly <laughs> <laughs> if we want to get right down to it well okay so think if if javert was played by Oh, fuck, I'm coming God up empty. God forbid Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, then I would be like, oh, fuck that guy. I'd hate this movie. I'm just, I, I, I have nothing against Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, I do. <laughs> I don't. I, I... I've just reached a point in my life where I'm over him and no. I'm tired of seeing him in no. things. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I, think, I think Benedict Cumberbatch has a thing with a capital T, and he's good at that thing. The only problem is that thing can get old to people. The, yes, I, precisely. It. Anyway, we're not here for me to <laughs> talk about why I'm tired of Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm excited for I Doctor Strange. I understand what you're too. saying. Moving on. <laughs> I'm excited for Doctor Strange too, but not because of Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm excited for what? Um, <laughs> That's pretty much it. And the director. And the multiverse um, of madness. But yeah. But <laughs> I understand what you're saying about Javert. If he was someone with a bit more of a severe face. Yes. Um. Speaking of severe faces, Hugh Jackman is looking gnarly in the first, the first, the first act. Uh, yeah, the first act of the movie in a good way. In a good way, it's actually kind of remarkable. Like, I, I don't really want to delve too much into the kind of uh, diet regimens that the people in this movie had to go on, uh, namely Anne Hathaway, but probably Hugh Jackman too, because it's kind of. I have some opinions on how that is more and more of a thing in Hollywood and what that does to people's bodies but it's fine well like Um, especially uh uh, for hugh because he was still on his wolverine diet and stuff too so not only was he like staying jacked uh he didn't drink coffee i'm looking at the wikipedia right now so he didn't drink coffee warmed up at least 15 minutes every day kept uh lozenges uh in his pocket drank as much as seven liters of waters per day sat in a steam room three times a day took cold baths and used a wet washcloth uh over his face while flying (laughs) What? <laughs> That's yeah, just the stuff that they make people do. I, just gotta eh. stay pretty. 
And, like, how every male actor, like, who's going to be in any kind of action role or something has to look ridiculous. Like, I don't, I'm just like, it, if you look at older movies, people's bodies didn't look like that. Like, even, like, a fit guy would just kind of look like a guy. Right, like, Harrison Ford in his heyday was just, like, your your uncle, you know? Yeah, like, like <laughs> your hot uncle, Your maybe, uncle but... who, like, was a mechanic or something. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I don't, anyway, that's a whole different thing. And, of course, Anne Hathaway, uh, I can't quote word for word, but she said, I think, like, someone someone asked her in an interview, like, oh, wow, how did you lose so much weight? And she was like, actually, it kind of wrecked my body, so it's, like, not a positive thing. Oh, like, Jesus. But they were framing it as, like, a positive thing that she got down to, like, whatever yeah. horrible. You, I mean, you could see how skinny she is. Like. Conveniently, that's not listed on the Wikipedia. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's. It's not that she didn't consent to do it. Like, she did, but it's also an industry in which you kind of have to, or, like, your options are going to start running out. Like Right, so. it's also not supposed to be a positive. It's not supposed to be like, right. how did you lose so much like, weight? Like, oh, look oh, at Fontaine's I was supposed bodies. to play a role where I was a, <laughs> starving. A, yeah. a starving prostitute in 1800s France. Yeah, like, um, someone who was literally starving and dies from it. Like. My diet was, don't eat food. <laughs> and awful. get paid a franc to have sex with men yeah exactly money that i'm going to send away to take care of my daughter who isn't actually sick uh let's move on getting into the depressing parts let's 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 discuss the rest of the cast yes um helena bonham carter and um sasha baron cohen Cohen. they're helena bonham carter and sasha baron coning it up (laughs) they are doing exactly what they are hired to do in any given movie Mm -hmm. and it's great roles for them sasha baron cohen looks fantastic with sideburns (laughs) he Uh, honestly does it really works for him uh, so Master of the House is the only one that, like, the only number in this whole uh, movie that felt like, we're musicaling it up right now. Ridiculous yeah. stuff is happening. It, like, it, it didn't feel as, like, a natural like flow. Well, and it's the only, like, arguably fun number. Yeah. Like, it's right, because, still... like, even the songs in the ABC Cafe aren't fun. Right, this one's fun and bouncy, and in true Les Mis fashion, it's still about shitty people. Like, <laughs> or <laughs> about shitty poor people who are scraping by in an unethical way. Like, it... <laughs> which feels very true to the story. Like, you can have fun, but you're not gonna have fun. Like... <laughs> Also, like, with Lovely Ladies, like, how it's like, oh, we'll give you your sexy song, but, like, everyone here wants to die. We're gonna make it as unsexy as possible. (laughs) Yeah, just grimy and sad and disease-ridden, and yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, which is kind of what I love about the, about, about Les Mis, and I will say about this adaptation of Les Mis, um, I like that it looks so grimy, honestly, because I feel like... I mean the 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 play is called Les Misérables, like the 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 miserables, <laughs> like the, the miserable ones. Um, and it you know it very much is about kind of human misery, more specifically like unnecessary human misery. Yeah. Like um, which is also <laughs> we're we're all over the place here. Sorry, I'm all <laughs> over the place. Um, I I love this play as a little baby leftist because um, it's, I think, it, yeah, it is not just about, like, people having shitty lives, because there are a lot of ways that people can have shitty lives in ways that aren't the fault of, uh, I don't know if you could call it capitalism, but whatever was the going system. on. Yeah, the system, capital S. Um, but this is not about that. This is about particularly the ways in which people are wronged 
and are abandoned by other by, people. Yes, right. Like, um, and and in different ways. Like, you know, the like the the prison system. That's like Valjean's whole thing. Like, in order to escape from that kind of black hole of of criminal status, um, he literally has to run away and completely invent whole cloth, a new identity for himself. And he has to spend basically his entire life trying to escape from that because it's he stole a loaf of bread. Like it's it's also about the uh, how a single moment of kindness from another person can change the course That's of your life. So good. <laughs> like the oh, I love it. the the uh, the guy from the church. I don't know what his name is or the what priest. his is the priest. I think he's a priest. What do say the priest? <laughs> The priest showed kindness to Jean Valjean. The way I and then tear he up was in that able to show kindness to Fantine and yep. and Cassette, Pass and on. then also <laughs> to Javert. And the the way that that just spirals, you right. know, it's about learning to show kindness and not hate and not hold grudges in a world full of people who are just constantly out to do wrong to you. Yeah. And, and I think, like, that's part of what I like about Valjean as a protagonist is that he's clearly not a perfect person. Like, he starts out in a very, like, dark place, you know, mentally, morally, spiritually. Um, and But we kind of see he gets his, like, redemption arc very early on. And then so we kind of see that, that coveted post-redemption period that everyone wants to see but we rarely get to see. Mm-hmm. And in where he has made a decision to change his life and to be better and is having to to navigate that and especially in his position where he's made the decision but like the legal system isn't going to change its mind about him just because he is now a better person like he's still just a number to them um and so for the rest of the movie we see him like kind of at every turn struggling with making the right choice but eventually doing it eventually making the right choice um and (laughs) which is partially like why i i think of this this movie as in some ways the spiritual uh antidote might not be the right word and opposite also might not be the right word but kind of the spiritual inverse of chicago maybe (laughs) because chicago is just about like um people being terrible being shitty yeah yeah or regular people being shitty in like certain just their their little human ways, mm-hmm. and then Les Mis, I don't know, having almost that that lovely transcendent quality of like regular people, um, kind of rising above what they could be, um, and, and choosing to choosing to do the right thing in situations where it doesn't always directly benefit them. In fact, some cases directly it does not benefit them. Um, but that's, I think that's part of why it's just such a, a lovely watch, even when it's really sad, because, um, so, so at so many different points, you get reminded of like, oh, like people can do nice things. Sometimes people can, um, you know, people can be good. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, um, I always love the, the scene with the priest because, well, for a mul- multitude of reasons. Like, for one thing, because that's kind of the first example we get of that. Like, it's just been misery for, like, 
15 minutes or so, like, with everyone just completely kicking Valjean around. And then, of course, you know, there's this opportunity for someone to kick him around again. And instead, he's like, oh, um, instead, let me be nice to you. Like, let me help and you. he gives him the silver, tells him to become a better man. And then in every yes, I scene and every time period yeah. after that, you see Jean Valjean still has the candlesticks. Yeah, he, he didn't even sell them. Those are the only things he didn't Cute. sell. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My feelings, man. R slash <sighs> film details. Let's, let's, oh, I've got an R slash film details fact for you, but I'm going to hold on to it for okay. a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's continue talking about the cast. Yeah. Amanda Seyfried has a perfect old timey no Disney princess singing yes, voice. It's so like Snow White. It's, I, yeah, I really like, she, I have always thought she has a really nice voice, and she also doesn't do a lot of musical stuff, but um, I remember, I think even before I saw this movie, like, the year before, when she was in that, like, kind of bad, but kind of fun, twilighty Red Riding Hood movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> love that one, um, she, she did a cover of that song, like, hey there, little Red Riding Hood, and, like, um, gave it a really nice, kind of, like, creepy, pretty... Uh, rendition um, and I don't know I just thought she had a really good voice for it and so when I saw she back when Les Mis came out and I saw she was singing it I was like oh she's actually like singing and stuff like she's doing that and I, I don't know I think she yeah I thought she was really good she was great for the part like Cosette already kind of has that sort of fluttery soprano going on um, mm-hmm. and I think yeah she does a really good I mean as, as far as things are concerned she's a fairly minor role Mm-hmm. Um, so she doesn't get to show off that much, but she has a couple numbers, and she's she is as good, if not better, than the role needed. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I believe this was Eddie Redmayne's first vehicle, at least in America. Oh, yeah, that's the first thing I'd seen him in. He, I think he also does a really good job. Like he definitely has singing face, but <laughs> he does a good job. So he does a good job. I'm not mad at it. Um, Aaron Tveit. Love him. What a man. Love, yeah. <laughs> what a man. <laughs> and of course, he, I think, was already like doing Broadway. Yeah, he was stuff. already doing Broadway. So he was not really known for film so much as Broadway. Um, but Aaron TV and the transition. actress who played Eponine, whose name oh, I gosh, don't know. What is her name? Stephanie said she was also she a Broadway is? actress. I'm I sure think Justin she, will tell us within is. the next yeah. 15 seconds. Aha! <laughs> you. Eh? Uh, there yeah. we go. Uh, Samantha Barks. Yes. Yeah, she was really good. Um, with an impossibly tiny waist, I'm, I'm just it, amazed. It, the mind every time boggles. I see it, every time I see it, I'm like, how did... How, how it can doesn't I, look real. How can a human uh, a um, human stomach occupy that little space? The the kid who plays Gavroche. Oh, yeah. He does a great job. That kid. He as far really as kids good. go, he does a really good job. Yeah, um, love a non-annoying child actor. Two fun facts. The first one, hmm. um, according to the Les Mis wiki... Gavroche is the eldest son of the Thenardiers. Um, That's definitely he has not two younger movie. brothers. And no, it's that detail is not included in the book or the musical, so I don't know how we know that. Huh. Um, yeah, wait, it's not even in the book. But that's I haven't read no, the book. but that's like that's why he's there when um, Javert is confronting them in Paris. That's why he like shoves Gavroche and why he's just hanging around is because he's a Thenardier apparently. Um, oh. So he's technically what? Eponine's younger brother. Huh. Well, they definitely don't look anything alike. Um, and then the actual R slash film details fact is that um, apparently the so the pin the the medal that Javert pins to Gavroche when he f- sees his body 
um, would have been given to him by Napoleon himself. Which, um, the scene, uh, during One Day More, when Javert seems to be at some sort of ceremony, like, he's clearly in some grand hall and there's a bunch of soldiers behind Mm -hmm. him, was probably the medal-pinning ceremony where Napoleon gave him that medal that he then pins on (gasps) Gavroche. See, that's how, that's how good this story is, is that, like, even with someone like Javert, like... Um, who is so very hateable, it still gives him these, like, little moments of humanity, even before, like, the end, um, where, like, he clearly, I think, feels at least a little bit of guilt about it, like, and I don't know, see, I'm a, I wouldn't call myself a Javert defender, I would call myself a Javert appreciator. I think there's a difference. <laughs> Javert understander has logged yeah, on. Javert <laughs> apologist. Um, <laughs> like, Javert is one of those characters. <sighs> Stephanie, I get into this every time. No, no, oh, and boy. I understand uh, Stephanie's points. Oh boy. I perfectly understand them. <laughs> I just gotta get into I, it. <laughs> I hate Javert because I personally I can logically understand, but I can't actually understand how someone could be the way Javert is and how rigid he is in his beliefs. And, like, one thing I will give the character, he is not corrupt at all. He applies the same standards to himself that he applies to everyone else, to a fault, um, which is why he ends up yeeting himself off a bridge. Um, But his... (laughs) Great moment. (laughs) Great moment. <laughs> I love it Listen. when a villain dies. He just opts himself. The heroes no, don't even have to. No, no, no. Okay. Um, whoa. Whoa, whoa. All right. We're going to. No, are we no, not no, applauding his got, death? I thought that's we, what we were. Real uh, Disney no. villain death. Um, he fell are. off something into a pit. He at least makes. Lo- he, his logic is consistent. He is true to himself and his beliefs. Oh, that's beautiful. And. Be true the to way, yourself, quote Javert. The way he acts and reacts is logical to himself. I don't think it's logical in a larger sense, which is why I hate him, because I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, okay. I, his rigid okay. worldview. Let's. I'm going to let Stephanie talk it's for a so, second. The thing is, what Caleb is saying is true. And also, I can't disagree with it because it's his like personal opinion (laughs) that's just like (laughs) your opinion (laughs) um but i will say for myself like why i like javert so much as not just as a villain but as a character is like for one thing for one thing a lot of villains if you look at the way they're characterized um are characterized as deeply selfish like they're out for their own personal gain and therefore are often hypocritical. Um, like like if, literally everyone in Chicago. Right. If you look at the way a lot of villains are characterized, they are characterized as being willing to bend the rules for themselves. Like, and, and you know, and Javert is someone who is very, I don't know how to put it, like, Selfless is definitely not the right word. Someone who has very much, like, relinquished himself to the law. Like, who sees himself pretty much not even so much as, like, a human as just an avatar of law and order. Right. And there like, is no gray. The world I mean, is only black and right. white. Right. And, 
and that's Valjean, why when... uh, Valjean even like says that to him. He's like, "I bear you no ill will. You were your duty bound. Only doing you were your just duty. doing your job, yeah. right?" And, and the thing about that is that I appreciate with the way the character is written that he is someone who genuinely believes in it. Like, he, it's not like he's someone who's using it for his own selfish ends it's that he for whatever fucking reason has so internalized this ridiculous it probably dogma. has something to do with the fact that he's literally bane sorry no he's technically he's talia right he's the, he's the baby born in the jail oh yes also a great little moment where he says um i i was born with scum like you i am from the gutter too and there's such an intense I guess, self-hatred in that and a need to rise above that station. Wow, I could relate to that. <laughs> I uh... Wanting to rise above and not be like your, the uh, where you're from or the people that you're related right. to. Right, and it's tragic too because instead of thinking, hey, I could help these people, instead he thinks, no, I need to get beyond this. I need to be better well, than this. And uh, I see what you're saying, and, and I agree with you, especially the way his arc ends... Uh, uh, it's, it's rare that you see a villain that when their logic is broken, uh, they start to feel uh, guilt. Uh, the best way is a robot going, does not compute, and then blowing themselves yeah. up. It's, exactly. Uh, he can't... He, he, he literally cannot comprehend it. He he has lived this way his... Uh, I don't know how old he is supposed to be in his 50s or something. And but, the moment... What, Justin? Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. Just, just the moment that any... There is a full and irrefutable um, opposition to that. Something showing him that his rigid worldview is not entirely correct. That someone who he views as a thief and a criminal can show him mercy and bear him no ill will and genuinely mean it. it just does not... The gears can't turn anymore. You know, yeah. he just can't live in that world anymore. So That's... I um... Go, go for it, oh, sorry. Uh, so I, I I see where like it, there is a level of sympathy you can have for him, um, and and I think it it works beautifully uh, in the film and therefore the play in the book. Um, it, it the way his story ends works great, and you do feel some degree of sympathy for him. But for the rest of the movie, <laughs> he is such a punishment obsessed. Yep dick bag that it's I know. just like every time i'm he like shows okay up, you, you just learned w- your lesson and now you're gone cool <laughs> yep, every time he shows up you just want to be like come on man <laughs> do something else take up a hobby yeah. god damn yeah it's like he's every everywhere jean valjean goes he goes to the hospital when he's visiting his dead friend he he shows up to set up a roadblock so he can't rescue an orphan. I just <laughs> I, Jesus, so cartoonishly evil. Yes. <laughs> it well, and that's the thing. I I think it's necessary that he be both cartoonishly evil and weirdly sympathetic because the system is like he is representative. Like it's we say yes. that Javert is the big villain, but even Javert is just emblematic of of he's just i a, hate to keep phrasing it this way but the system you know that it, that is no you're right down. he is just the anthropomorphic so we need someone who is that system. kind of relentless force of nature almost that like um that keeps hounding valjean even after he is completely reformed and is just trying to live his life oh no that's why he absolutely does work as an antagonistic force i yes. agree with you right 
and I don't know. I, I also like how he works as a narrative foil to Valjean. I, I love when a, a villain and hero are narrative foils to each other. It's so great. Um, <laughs> what a novel concept, I know. Um, but I, I particularly... I am not going to go so far as to say I like his suicide scene, because woof. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't this time, but just about every time I see him hit the... The dam, I get a little, a slight chuckle out of me just because it's, I, I, it very clearly looks like they just chucked they dropped a dummy, a dummy. Off. <laughs> They just chucked a dummy off something really tall. I don't like it. I don't, I wish he had just disappeared into the water and we never saw him again. Anyway. Yeah, see, I agree, because then you wouldn't have the hilarity of seeing really a dummy <laughs> hitting it's something. I think it's awful. <laughs> It's awfully hilarious. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for backing me up on this, Justin. Yes, we get it. Hey, we're men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, my point being that I like Caleb was saying I I like when of of or Justin was saying one of you was saying I love those those moments when someone's logic is broken, be they villain or hero or whatever, like. Mm -hmm. When someone's worldview just kind of is, uh, what? <laughs> you said that and I just did it the cute the ship of Theseus scene from WandaVision, <laughs> which like I guess is kind of an example, but it's also kind of like that. A little funny because the villain showed up like ten minutes before, and then we get the <laughs> guys. Uh, Are you familiar uh, with the ship of Theseus? L- listen, audience, I- I'm sorry for all the Marvel talk, but you can't. <laughs> expect Hugh Jackman to be in a movie and not have superheroes on the brain a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're already in that headspace. What, would you say he defeated his enemy with facts and logic? <laughs> I mean, that makes no. sense for Vision. Let's consider for a second. Oh my god! Don't you ship. even dare compare my mans to oh, that! There's no. a ship owned by Theseus. Not for the sake of argument. <laughs> Let's say that the ship needs repairs. Oh my god. I just want to move on. Do you hear that? And you must agree. The- it's a pair of scissors what? telling you to cut it out. <laughs> That's great. That's excellent. So anyway, sorry. as I was saying, I like Lipsy. Uh, partially because I love a, a cinematic parallel, uh, or in this case, a musical parallel. So, um, if you listen, if you listen like to the the song, I guess song that. Um, Javert is singing. It's it's the exact same song, just with different words. That Valjean is singing in the church uh, when when he's having that kind of crisis of faith moment. Immediately after the priest showed him mercy, and he is reevaluating his entire life because of it. And now Valjean. So they like, they, they both share the same musical mo- mo- motif in the moments where their worldviews are shaken. Yes. Um, like those two are so far apart. I don't know if I would have picked up on that. Like in Javert saying, "Like, do I now begin to doubt? Who never doubted all these years?" And um, in that part, that's like that whole thing. Um, they are there are even some lyrical similarities, which I <laughs> I don't have them in front of me, so I can't get into them <laughs> right now. But um, it's so good because it kind of. Like, Valjean's crisis, I guess you could say, is at the beginning. Javert's is at the end. And they both come as a result of kind of, like, being confronted with 
with goodness in a person like that completely conflicts with the way they had begun to view the world like in Valjean's case it's goodness on the part of the priest uh and I'm sure it doesn't hurt that you know the priest being kind of like a figure of law and order in a way like an authority figure and yet also showing him mercy in a way that the law maybe in a way that is outside the law um and then in Javert's case um you know actually it's not just because it's not just because Valjean showed him mercy it is partially that he does reference it in the song but it's also because Javert showed Valjean mercy in that in that part like he he allowed him to to take Marius and I, I guess presumably get him to a doctor like because so many times every time Javert has encountered Jean Valjean he has been trying to save someone else's life mm-hmm. first he was trying to help Fantine then he was uh, rescuing Cosette and then he was rescuing Marius mm-hmm. so when he says I'm going to you know take take one more step and I'll shoot you where you stand and Jean Valjean's just like okay and then he does he continues on and he just can't do it because I. Every time he has tried to apprehend his this man, he has been confronted with his goodness. I, uh, yep, exactly. I love that moment where Valjean turns around and like he doesn't even say anything; he just like locks eyes with Javert, and he's like, "the The understanding is do what you got to do. I'm going to save this guy anyway." Yeah, oh, it's so powerful. God, it's yeah, so good. Well, and that's and that's partially what destroys Valjean is not just recognizing. Or, sorry, not Valjean. Ha, Javert is not just recognizing Valjean's goodness, but, like, feeling in some way that it has kind of infected him in a way that he doesn't really understand. Like, he's like, why did I allow him to to leave? Why did I do that? Like, it's like the, the good part of himself is really fighting to get out there, but he's just like, no, no, n- no, go away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was trying to remember, think of examples in, like, media of, like, an evil character learning to be good. And the only one that came to mind was the fun scene in, like, season one of Spongebob when Plankton's like, it feels kind of tingly inside. Oh, my God. Sorry, Take that feeling, multiply it by, like, a million, and this is what causes Javert to literally eat himself off a bridge. Or, 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 oh, or the Grinch. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what is this weird feeling? of instead of returning the presents back to to Whoville, he just threw himself off the edge of Mount Crumpet. (laughs) He was like, you know what, I'm going to save the presents, but I'm going over that cliff. Stephanie, are you ready to talk about the church's role in the image? In, in his heart grew three it... sizes that don't. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. So, so anyways, the church. The church. <laughs> the church. The uh, church. As narrative so, entity. Um, um, I don't. I don't know. How much of this is drawn from Hugo Weaving? <laughs> Hugo Weaving's Victor Hugo Victor Weaving. Hugo. <laughs> Hugo, Weaving. <laughs> Hugo Weaving, right? Yes. Oh my um, god. Victor Hugo's original text. Um, I don't either, and I never really want to so, read it. I'll be honest. Okay. I love my man's, but no. We know he wrote 
the, hun- uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. largely as an argument for the preservation of the physical building. Let's just of say the story has evolved over the years. The Notre Dame years. of Paris. Um, yes. So the the themes of the posi- the position of the church in this musical, I don't know how true they are to his original. I'm not vision. even going to attempt. So to I'm not going to speak to that, but. In this context, in this movie adaptation of this musical, of this book, <laughs> the, the church plays a very specific role. It is, it is there in, to be, you know, someone comes pounding on the door shouting, Sanctuary! Sanctuary! And, you know, I mean, that's kind of what he does. They're yeah. given sanctuary. Um, you know, the first break he is given is the priest lets him into the church and then he takes advantage of them and tries to steal all their silver. And then the priest says, you know, you for of, of course I gave this all to him. You forgot the Yeah, he the saves best his ass all. from the cops. Um, and that's what sets his life on a better course. And when he rescues Cassette, they find sanctuary with the sisters at the um, nun house. Stephanie... The, the Abbey, I assume? Uh, I don't sure, know. The Abbey. I don't fucking know At Catholic church. words. Um, yeah. And then, you know, he finds sanctuary there again when he's an old man. Um, yes. It's just the, the the role of... It does seem to be a thing in Victor Hugo's work, at, at least in the adaptations of the it's work. It's right. The, 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 the church is a place of forgiveness and comfort and sanctuary and second chances um, Which is so and, interesting because the villains are also deeply religious in both of right. in both of those stories. Well, right, you're right. They they are. It's uh, it, it's the punishment obsessed, holier than thou part of religion, which is in this case represented by uh, the state. I will say, mm. uh, and versus the side of religion that can be welcoming and warming and safe, uh, which is represented by the church proper it's it's two sides of the same coin yeah i i it's it's weird like we we have a complicated relationship with with religion especially of of the organized variety on this podcast yeah it it's i don't know it it's it does the opposite of annoy me though like it Mm-hmm. In these stories, it's such a weirdly comforting thing because in some ways it feels like what you wanted religion to be. Mm-hmm. Um, or, not to like project here, but um, like what it feels like kind of showing that, that dichotomy that a lot of us have experienced in regards to religion. That like, we so much of what we see as you know, people who live in the South and belonged to Protestant churches in America, <laughs> um, where so much of that has become subsumed into this, this honestly completely foreign ideology or foreign to the basic tenets of Christianity, in my opinion. It, um, but it, that's kind of exemplified in characters like Javert and, and, and Frollo. Like, uh, and there, but it also gives us an alternative, which is something that we sometimes feel like we don't have in real life. Like when, like the scene with the priest that I always come back to, I think part of why that hits me so hard is that I, I can't always imagine 
a religious person that I would meet behaving that way. Right. No, I, every single quote-unquote religious person that I know in my real life would instantly turn that man oh, over to the cops yeah, and say he dug cops. his own grave, you know? Right. He, that was the, the result of his own actions. Right. And, and so just the idea of someone who could actually behave in in a, a christ-like way is kind of breathtaking and it shouldn't be but it it feels like it is and i don't know that's something i really appreciate about about this story and the hunchback of notre dame is that it's kind of two forms of sp- i don't even know if spirituality is the right word of of religion in conversation mm-hmm. with each other and and kind of clearly showing what what the um the creators believe is is the correct one uh which you know sometimes that's just what art does (laughs) sometimes art is just taking a side and being like yep this is my side um i don't know i really like how it's used in in this movie no absolutely save for maybe the kind that's very uh dark and brooding and fighting vampires uh narratives like this favorite way <laughs> oh uh, the Catholic i love Church a is used gothic christian aesthetic yeah because <laughs> uh, uh, you've seen you see this thing all the time right especially I, I watched a ton of old westerns uh with my grandpa growing up the amount of times there was a priest who took in the outlaw hit him from the sheriff yeah. like got him sober cleaned him up like it, it's it's such a good way to showcase uh, religion. Uh, I want to see more of it. <laughs> yeah, it feels like we really need that concept of of religion back. And I mean, honestly, if you look at history, a lot of the people at the forefront of social movements have been very religious. Like, I feel like it's easy to forget that because of how shitty a lot of prominent religious people are. But, like, so many, like, priests and, and preachers and nuns and whoever have been, like, really radical and socially active. And, like, I think it's important to not lose sight of that. And especially because, you know, the uh, because of the, oh, all religion is bad for humanity crowd, which, like, there's a million ways to have to unpack that one. But it it just feels like we we need that narrative again of of maybe spirituality that uh shocker can actually be good for people and like cause them to care about their fellow man crazy that well i mean if you you get that kind of person around you run the risk of them being killed by the cia so <laughs> or fbi i don't, I don't know well, and, and just like we were talking about in Les Mis, it's not always the law, the, the state is not always kind to that kind of person, you know, it, especially because I think in particular, like, spiritual leaders have a lot of ability to sway people one way or the other, have, like, have a lot of influence, and that can be a very, I suppose, a very scary thing if you are an entity of the state, because, like, so a, a religious figure can promise you things that the state can't promise you in some ways. And I think that, <laughs> the, I, I don't know, whew, we have gone into a whole different conversation. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> no, no, but I, I really I really do like how both Valjean and Javert are, are very vocally religious. Um, but we see how differently it manifests with both of them. Um I don't know. That that's always fascinating to me um, to see in a story. Whew. Okay. Um. <laughs> oh, I know. Just the light stuff from sounds familiar. Um, gosh, what else, what else, guys? 
There's so much going on. Like, they, uh, you could honestly, I think you could analyze the musical motifs alone and spend an entire episode on that. Like, of all the, like, um, melodies that are used um, to parallel each other and everything. Mm-hmm. Just so much to be, to be gleaned from that. But, oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, any, any final thoughts, though? Jeez. Mm. There, there are whole aspects that we didn't even touch on that I really like. Um, we should be really corny and play Do You Hear the People Sing at more um, protests. Um, <laughs> I'm going to really bring that obnoxious theater kid energy. I feel like it would be really good. <laughs> that's it's it's got to be redirected somewhere. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah. We got to use it for good. For good. Uh, and that song really gets you going. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, I would love to see the, the spinoffs uh, from this show that are just regular people not involved with any drama that's just like i'm going to have cereal for breakfast <laughs> well it, it it kind of does a little bit like show like the common man of course in this case the common man is usually just a miserable per- miserable person who lives in the gutter and can't afford health care so like most americans today one day less to be living yep oh Ooh. i just want to know if the rest of the world is singing or if it's only france that's <laughs> <laughs> well you know this shit's always going down in france you know the french are the dramatic they yeah yeah i mean moulin rouge that, that was french um hunchback of notre dame is those french. damn french the miserable i i know you gotta no you gotta love it i think you gotta you gotta love how deeply committed they are to a uh, a philosophy to a bit? and uh, <laughs> and music and, the, yes. and a bit so yeah <laughs> um oh gosh no so much great stuff i mean i uh i like the cinematography i know that's also kind of been a point of debate but i think it's cool what yeah i know pa- patrick willems in one of his videos i don't remember which one um uh, kind of goes over a lot of Tom Hooper's. So this movie was directed by the same guy who directed the m- recent Cats movie, um, <laughs> and he kind of goes over a lot of this movie's faults. And when I'm watching the video, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. I agree with every single point you're making criticizing this movie." But then when I'm watching the movie. I forget every single one of them. Like they yeah. all go out the window, yeah. and I'm just in the moment. Yeah. Yep. It's not it's not perfect at all, but my god is it compelling. <laughs> I th- yes. I think it achieves what it sets <laughs> compels out to me, do. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Makes no damn sense. Compels me though. Uh yes, I think that the best thing that a movie can do is to 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 achieve what it sets out to achieve and and I think it sets I think it achieves what it sets out to achieve. Um it I've I've also like watched videos of like criticisms of of having the actors actually like sing on set and like in real time. Um and I get it, but once again, it's it never takes me out of it. Like Yeah. At at worst, I feel that it's neutral. Uh, and at times better than you. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. <laughs> See, but even that is not true. I do have strong feelings. <laughs> what happens in a man's life to make him turn neutral? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think I. I know that we like to dunk on stuff now for being like overly gritty or whatever, and like sure, uh, but but I think that 
a movie called Les Miserables has a, a right to be gritty. Like, you know, like, I feel like it has a right to have the kind of grimy aesthetic and the weird camera angles and the kind of maybe sometimes rough around the edges vocal performances. I, I don't know. I think it works. And I think that that's the best thing a movie could do is don't, don't work. <laughs> I am always like a bigger capitalist system. <laughs> I am always a fan, uh, more so of is good actually discourse over is bad actually discourse. So. Yes, God, me too. I, I'm, I'm so over is bad actually, and the, you know what? Let that be. Let that be the sounds familiar official stance. Like <laughs> we, we would much rather argue that something is good actually than that something is bad actually. Caleb's like, go back I don't to our know. Van Helsing episode. <laughs> I'll, I'll fight someone about Joker though. <laughs> yeah, but that's not even that hot of a take. I feel maybe it's just it's tell that me. to my dad. Well, but your dad is hardly a, not to be mean to your dad, but does he know anything about film? No, N- not anything good anyway. I'm gonna stop talking. Um, <laughs> before I insult Caleb's father some more. Um. I don't know. I, yeah, I think there is a place for that, but also just like, I, I feel like I'm one of those silly people who just thinks that if art speaks to you in a certain way and you get something from it, then that's good. Unless right, it's like making if, you an incel or neo-Nazi, then that's a good point, but it Justin. Doesn't. That's the thing. <laughs> it, it, like... it, it, it does not do that. Even the Joker movie, they had like a huge, the media had a huge fucking meltdown about it. It was like, oh my God, it's going to cause mass shootings. And it didn't it fucking didn't, happen. Yeah. Like, like, like Stephanie was saying, if a good friend of yours is really into Ready Player One and thinks it's a really good movie and they watch it all the time and tell you you should come over and watch it, Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to come over and watch it, but they sure can watch I'm gonna it. Let, yeah, I'll, I'll let them have it. Right. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, and I mean, I know that it's a little silly to even be saying all this about Les Mis because it's generally agreed upon to be a pretty good movie. Like, yeah, there are some issues, but it did pretty well. You know, I don't think many people are out here saying it's bad, except for maybe some snobby theater kids. But... I don't know. And snobby theater teachers at the local community college. Uh, well, fuck them. There's a reason they're at the community college. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Um, uh, Jason, then, oh. if you're listening, this does not apply to you. No, I, oh, God, I didn't mean that. I just meant that I, I don't know. I, jokes. I'm sure he appreciates limits. But maybe. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> The, I don't know. It's just your value that, is not uh, 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 judged by whether or not. You no, no, like community this. college is important. I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm over here talking about how anti-capitalist I am. Right. I'm, I'm like, not. I'm. Let me shit on a community college. That was so bad of me. I'm. I'm, I'm a month away from being a community college graduate. So. I mean, it's a state college now. Oh, that, you know what? You're right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Suck that community college <laughs> loses. Kim's <laughs> like, you know what? I take it back. Community college sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, all I'm saying is that... (laughs) We've gone on a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) Les Les Mis is good because it sets out to make you feel things and to empathize with people. 
and to have compassion for people. And I think it achieves that stunningly, honestly. I, I think it does. And and I don't think that's anything to scoff at because if there's if there's one thing we fucking need, it's to to feel more compassion and empathy for people. And it's so easy to not do that if you're not trying to. But I think every now and then it's good for a piece of art to shove your face in it and be like, look at it. Look at it. <laughs> I want all of you to look at it. <laughs> exactly. And, and and I think that's that is, good. We have worked more SpongeBob references into this episode than I expected we would. <laughs> okay. Are we? Les Miserables, if We've... you will. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Let's not even let's not even do tags. Well, Good night. No, 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 no. Screw you, I'm gonna do my tags. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and letterboxed at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name and on Letterboxd at Raise Left Boob. Raise Left Bob, if you will. Hey! My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It on Butler. You can find this show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. Give us a follow, y'all. Give us, uh, drop us a like. Drop us a follow. Drop us a, a little retweet. Tweet at us. Um, give us some suggestions. You know, if you're listening to this and there are some like uh, movies that you would like to hear us cover, like even if you don't have a pairing for it, just send it in. And you know what? We'll think of a of a pairing for it. Um. Unless it's horror, Caleb doesn't do that, but me and Justin could potentially. So, so, so send it in anyway. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll find uh, a way. If you have a good pairing for 1991's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, let oh us know. Oh my good lord! I've been, that's been sitting <laughs> on my list. Don't do it that way. I'll have to watch it. No, just kidding. I, I would love to see it purely as a cultural artifact. Um, but but yeah, for real, like just just let us know. We would love to get your ideas. Okay, y'all. That will be it for this evening. And, oh, and this concludes our musical March. We will join you next month for some, uh, auteur April. <laughs> oh, just came up with that. Oh, what now? Um, <laughs> right, so we'll see y'all next week, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> if I die, tell my wife hello. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar. <laughs>